What's up, guys? Thanks for coming to our Kaafa and Miss You podcast. Here, you will find resources to help you grow in real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. So you can learn to love Jesus, not just for a season, but for a lifetime. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy. But in all honesty, over the last week or two, it's been coming up a lot more in conversation. I can't remember why or how, um, but essentially there was this thing that I kept wondering. I was always like, why or how on earth? Like, I just don't understand the idea that someone would pretend to know or be or be capable of doing more than they actually are, right? Like, I, I just don't understand it. And the reason I started wondering, I was like, why is that a foreign concept to me? But it's actually not for quite a few people. Like, people want to pretend to know more than they really do, to give off that they are more than they really are, that they own more than they really have, or so on and so forth. And the reason I realized it's foreign to me was because of goals I had, right? Like, I really wanted to play college sports. And if you pretend to be more than you are, and to be more talented than you are, you will be a high school JV glory days athlete for the rest of your life. Because you can't just like pretend to be something you're not, and then expect someone to pretend you are too. And you see what I'm saying? Like, so I had to say, like, I need someone to tell me when I suck. If I'm not doing this right, I need someone to tell me. And I'd almost always question my dad. I'd be like, look, dad, I don't trust a word you say. I'm your son. You're not allowed to tell me I suck or that I'm awful, even though he would. Um, and I, now that I look back, I'm like, oh, he really did. He was like, that's awful. Like, your form is awful. You really need to do this one drill for the next three days or we're not moving on. Um, and I appreciate his honesty. But I didn't believe it at the time because I was like, it doesn't help me to help me believe I'm something I'm not because of who I want to be and what I want to do. Make sense? So with that in mind, speaking of being someone I'm not with homies and likey, hikey, lokey, whatever that means. Um, is there a dictionary definition for that? No. Urban? Is it an urban thing? No. Jake, are you the one that knows it? Did you just say that? Either way, take a wild guess at what you think. And when I say the American church, I don't, I don't mean the institution itself. I mean that includes ministries. That includes us. Like we are part of God's church. But what do you think, take a wild guess at what you think the biggest modern-day criticism of the American church is? Oh, snap. Uh, yes. First one for sure. Uh, hypocrisy. Pretending to be someone you're not. Saying you are someone you're not. Proclaiming to do things you don't really do and love things you don't really love. Growing up, I was your grade B teenage Christian hypocrite, and I'll explain why I said B. I didn't think I was. I really did think I was a Christian. When I thought Christian, I thought that's what I am. Now, I wasn't a grade A religious hypocrite because grade A religious people don't like me, and that's what they don't like about me because I didn't go to youth group growing up. I'm not saying people that did are all hypocrites. I'm not saying that, right? But we're in the category of hypocrites. I was one of them. But I didn't go to youth group or church things. I didn't go to church camps or volunteer at church. That's the grade A religious hypocrite, which I was not. The one that not only, the grade A person is the one that not only can do the song and dance, they're actually like the choreographers of it. They're the ones that are like, they're the ones that set the trends, like, oh, great sermon, Pastor, bless you. And then you say it too, like, I would say that. But I didn't come up with it. I just did what everyone else did. 
and I knew kids in youth group, and I still know who they are today, and they were just as awful as I was, and they did more than I did, because I could cry when the sermon was good enough, I felt emotional enough at times to raise my hand 57 times and me be right with God, zero of them. But in college, I met a guy that was completely different, and not for lack of the existence of different people, but for my lack of knowing them, right? I met someone in college who was completely different than anyone I had ever met. He wasn't a Christian clone that could sing songs, raise hands, and good sermon pastor someone. When he would pray, it wasn't like someone saying prayers. It was like someone really talking to a friend or really pleading with someone that they believed wanted what they wanted also. When he would worship, it didn't look empty and copied or forced, but it looked like he really was singing to someone he believed with all his heart was worthy to be sung to. And when he talked, it was as if he really did know God and loved to spend time with him. It's men and women like that that change the world. People who are sold out for whatever it is they're living for. Because going halfway on anything you live for just seems like an awful waste of time and a waste of life. And it's people who are all in and sold out that we all look at or people look at and say, I want to be like that. We've talked this whole semester about the idea of counterfeit conversion because we want to be who we really say we are. We don't want to say we are more than we really are. And if you want to live for yourself, then you should just go all out for it. Don't hold back and pretend to be something else because that just sounds awful. But if you're going to give your life to God, then you give all of it to Him. You go all in with God and you, may, and he, and you let Him make you the man or woman that's out of this world that people look at and say that is 100% different. That's not mechanical. That's not copied. That's not cloned. That is something different. But what does that really mean, right? For those of you exploring Christianity, what does this idea of real surrender in Christianity look like? For those of you who want to put all of yourself in God's hands, what does that actually mean to fully surrender? The concept sounds like pretty self-explanatory, but there's a lot involved. And that's what we want to look at for the rest of the semester. Because Jesus said, all who love me, do what I say. My Father will love him, love them, and we will come and make our home in each of them. So when you become a part of God's family, everything you have and are is transferred back to him. And now what we're going to call the house of your life, because he makes his home with you and in you, it now belongs to him. And to be fully surrendered means he wants to go through your whole life, the whole house of your heart, room by room, and show you how each room you did or didn't know existed in your life, how he can use that and transform it and make it more than you thought in your wildest dreams you would use it for, or the ones you didn't even know exist and how he'll use that to serve him more fully. And each door that God opens and reveals to you is an opportunity for him to disciple you, to make you look more like him, which is so much different than this world. So we'll be going through what we're calling the doorways of discipleship. And tonight there are three rooms in your life we're going to talk about and in mine. They're the basement, the gallery, and the library. Now I have none of those in my house. My literal house. I don't own a house big enough. I would love to, but I don't. But we have them in our life. So I'll pray and we'll get started. Jesus, we need you. We love you. We want to hear from you. 
Holy Spirit, please help hearts be softened. Help our ears, help us to understand and know what you're saying, to hear you, to not bypass or try to avoid any conviction you're putting in our hearts. Help us to hear you and to want to listen and obey and have all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, don't remember how this thought came up. But one day I realized I had this thought. I think we are often more gracious with ourselves than we are with each other. <laughs> and so, I'll give you an example. One morning, you could be driving, and you're kind of sad because you didn't get your good morning baby text, or you didn't get it before 9 a.m., which for some reason means you're not loved because it wasn't early enough. And so you're angry because you think nobody loves you because you didn't get that text or it wasn't early enough. And so you drive slowly, you're kind of like mopey, you're turning corners slowly, and you're kind of dragging around. And every car behind you and around you is annoyed beyond belief. They're thinking, what the heck? Does this person have nowhere to go on a Monday morning when I'm trying to get to my classes? They're moping around, doing something. I don't know why. I don't care why, but I'm going to be late to class because they're going five miles an hour through the Barnes & Noble parking lot, which is no longer Barnes & Noble, but I guess we'll call it the bookstore parking lot. Is that what people call it now? It's been Barnes & Noble for like 10 years for me, and so it's weird that it's not. But then one day you're late to class. You're driving around. Someone else didn't get a good morning baby text, and they're feeling really down about it, or they didn't get one at all, it got too late, and so they're feeling mopey, listening to some mopey songs, and they're driving slowly, and they're turning into the, the bookstore parking lot, and you're kind of getting upset, because you're going to be late to class. But no part of you is wondering, I really want, you know, they're driving really slow. I, I bet you they just feel really lonely right now. They just probably don't feel loved. That's why they're going so slow. I guarantee you. None of you have thought that. I didn't think that recently. And it's because when it comes to ourselves, we think a lot more about the why than we do the what, because we actually know why we're doing what we're doing. But when it comes to other people, we don't actually know that. All we see is what they're doing. So with others, we're focused on what they're doing and not why they're doing it. Does it make sense? So when it comes to God, God doesn't ask what as much as he asks why? God is not overly concerned with what you do as much as he is concerned with why you do it. This is the type of question that can show you someone's heart really fast. And it's actually, I've actually heard it. I've heard stories about it. It's when someone hears a sermon, sees something in their friend's life, you just have a conversation at small group or however, and they kind of, you kind of like, you didn't know it, but you kind of like poked them somewhere. They don't like to be poked. And they ask this question, they'll say, well, what's wrong with, and then blank, like fill in the blank. What's wrong with long hair? What's wrong with this much TV? What's wrong with this much coffee? What's, you know, like whatever. What's wrong with blank? And essentially, <clears throat> it reveals someone's heart because all they really care about is the things they want and what they get. What's wrong with drinking? The real question is, who is your drinking for? Do you do it for you or do you do it for God? And you, I can't answer that for you. No one else really can. I can take an educated guess, but the Lord knows. And I think for the most part, we would all know, unless you've lied to yourself enough that, that you believe that lie, which I've also now come to realize is a thing people can do. 
So if you're going to be a Christian, then give all you've got to Jesus. If you're not, then outside of wanting to understand and explore Christianity, I would recommend to stay away from church-type anything because it will make you miserable to try to live this halfway, not really committed. Someone might come around and try to hold you accountable, and you don't like that. You kind of want to just go to church and be left alone so it's part of your image. But that sounds miserable. You should just go all in for what you're actually going to live for. Because Peter Marshall said, you'll be too fond of sinning to actually enjoy Christianity, or you'll be too fond of Christianity to enjoy sinning anymore. So if you're going to live for yourself, then go all out and do it right. Don't sit there and put on a face. You may be able to fool friends. You may be able to fool missionaries. You may be able to fool pastors. But you're not going to fool God, and I know you don't fool yourself. If you're not really living for God, God knows it. You know it. And at some point in life, the world will know it. And one day, when we see Him, there's only going to be two simple questions to be answered. And He's not going to ask, what have you done? Did you serve on worship long enough? Did you, how many Caiaphas did you show up to? How many times did you raise your hand? How many, how many nice, nice things did you do? Did you help people? He's going to ask, why did you do the things you did? And who were you actually doing it for? And the question only has two answers. Either you do it for you, or you do it for God. And it doesn't matter all the good things we do. The question is, why am I doing them? <clears throat> this is the basement and most foundational piece of your life, your motive. That is what our basement is. When God has your motive, He really, really does, has, and will do something out of this world with your life. I went to Santa Fe a few weeks ago <clears throat> with two of our interns for a quick overnight trip, <clears throat> and I like Santa Fe. Um, my wife is from Santa Fe, and she doesn't like it. So it's a weird conflict of, like, I like it, she doesn't like it, her family's there, she doesn't want to be there, I want to be there. I'm not sure all the emotions that are going on, because my in-laws are there also, but I really like Santa Fe. And one thing I've grown to like when being there are the art galleries. <clears throat> and I'm not some art connoisseur, but I've realized there are usually two ways for the average person to look at art. And one is someone looks at it and says, oh, it's a thing. Uh, whatever the thing is, like, oh, it's a statue of Abraham Lincoln. Oh, it's scribbles. Whatever. <laughs> it's, you observe the facts about it. It's simple, quick, and easy. Or someone looks at a piece of art and begins to ask questions. You look closer and you think, how did someone make these small strokes and still see where they were going with the whole picture? Or you look at a, at a sculpture and you're like, how did someone sculpt this with just their hands and no tools, which some actually are, and they're insanely detailed. Or you might think, what kind of ability would it take for an artist to see the details in these little strokes to create this ocean or this beach, but then still see this whole array of background they're going to have afterwards and keep every little stroke in mind that's going to happen in the future? Like, it's an insane amount of talent. And essentially, one, one person just takes a glance and essentially makes a quick, thoughtless observation. The other takes time to stand there, undistracted, still, and thinking about this piece that they're looking at. It requires what's called meditation. Now, when I say meditation, I don't mean sitting on the mountain, cross-legged, trying to sense the aura of nature, and my aura and my vibes. Like, that's weird. It's not what I'm talking about when I say that. 
When the Bible says meditate, it means to deeply contemplate something, to think on something again and again, turning it over, thinking it again, spitting it out, bringing it back later, thinking about it again. Most people cannot stand the idea of art galleries because they're boring, and I, I can understand that. Like It took years for me to like it, but most of the time, most people can't stand art galleries because it requires you to slow down. It requires you to not be distracted. You have to know how to be still, and you have to be able to think things without being told what to think by phones or TVs. Think about it. For example, the average American probably wakes up, looks at their phone, they get started with their day, they're going to get ready, so they're going to put music on. If they're very motivated and driven for something, they'll put a podcast on. You get there in the car, you'll have music, or if you're still motivated and driven, you'll have another podcast on. And then you get to work or school, and then you start talking to people. And then you're going to wait there alone somewhere, so you get on your phone, and you start looking through stuff. Maybe you're going to listen to a podcast again. And then you get home, and you put on a TV show or a movie, or if you're extremely, extremely motivated, you'll continue listening to a podcast. <laughs> but people, essentially, are wired for sound and distraction constantly. And the world has done nothing but give it and make it possible more and more and more so. Honestly, most people never give themselves time to actually think. And a lot of people may just freak out if they actually did. Like they try to think and it's going to freak them out. They're going <laughs> to just going to get anxious if they try to sit still and not do something. But if you're really going to live your life for God, then this is a room in your life that he wants to use. And we're going to call it the gallery which we're referring to meditation, your ability to think. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You are meant to have a thought life, the ability to think and be still and evaluate and meditate on things the way that Jesus was able to when he was here and that he still does. And the gallery of your life is the place in your soul where you go when you need quiet time to think about something where you can chew over and meditate on life's problems or the goals you have. <clears throat> Each of us needs silence, but most people are afraid of silence today because you feel like you have to keep moving, keep doing, keep watching because you're afraid to listen to the voice of God or to actually think about the thoughts you're afraid of thinking about. But this perpetual busyness stops you from actually knowing yourself and knowing God. People are usually afraid to think because insecurities will come up or fears, fears will come up. But God says things like, and I give, them to, I give them eternal life, and nothing will ever take them away from me. Or people get afraid and start to think, do I belong anywhere? Do I belong to anyone, or to a group, or anything? But when you belong to God, you become a part of the world's greatest family. Or people become afraid to think about the elusiveness of truth in a relativistic world. But it was clear when Jesus said, I am the truth, and my words will never pass away. Or you get afraid of thinking, will my life actually matter? Like, will I actually make any mark on history? Or am I just a quick skid stain that's going to be here and gone in one moment and then gone in the next? But when you get, belong to God, <clears throat> you realize that He can use you to change someone's eternity. And what lasts longer in history than that? Or you think about the idea of losing or never being loved. Losing current love you have, or never actually being loved and being alone. But when you belong to God, you realize that you were worse than you ever feared you could be, and at the same time, more loved than you ever imagined was possible. 
And you will never experience these realities if you never stop to think about them. God wants your thought life, your gallery, essentially the things, you, your ability to meditate on things, your ability to think on things. And essentially, the easy way, if that's not you, to start doing that is to set a 15-minute timer and don't do anything. You don't drive around. It's not the same where you drive silently. You're still doing something. Don't do dishes silently. Like Just sit for 15 minutes and bear through it till that timer goes off and just think. Like process through whatever thoughts are so probably hundreds that are unthought, unprocessed. And then when they're all off the, off the table of your mind, you can finally sit there and just think and be aware of God's nearness, His presence, the reality that He sees you and knows you, and there's nothing we can hide from Him. So there's no point in pretending I'm more than I am. Make sense? So then last, the last room for tonight is the library, which are your actual thoughts, not where you meditate, but the thoughts that are stored in your mind. Make sense? Now this one probably matters more than it ever has in history because this room is where you keep a record of all the thoughts you've ever had and all the things you've ever done. It's where the books of your thoughts are kept. And there is a battle over this part of your life every day. Groups and companies and ideas are competing for control of what's in your head at all times. Every time you listen to music, watch TV, read a book, scroll through social media, someone is fighting for room in your thoughts and in your mind. What you read, listen to, watch, and give your attention to tells the world a lot about the person you really are. So questions like what reels and TikToks does social media feed you? Because it doesn't do that by accident. It feeds you what it knows you want. What is on your recommended and watch history on streaming apps? What do you enjoy watching most? What is your most listened to music? Some of the latest research about music itself says, the words in music can definitely influence your thinking. The lyrics of a song can convey powerful messages, ideas and emotions that can have an impact on the way you think and feel. Music is a form of communication. And just like any other form of communication, the words used can shape our thoughts and beliefs. The influence of music on our thinking can be subtle, or explicit, depending on the content of the lyrics. And it is sad, the ideas that are conveyed through some of the most popular music today. I took my mom to the airport today, and driving back, I thought, well, I should probably, like, it's been a while since I, I anytime I listen to what I, th what's contemporary music to me, I'm thinking of stuff from when I was in middle school, like uh, Tayo Cruz. <laughs> some old, old stuff. <laughs> That's so sad, looking at me like that. I don't know. I can't get in the car with the entrance and play my stuff. They're like, what, what is this? Like, is this like from the 80s? I'm like, what? This is like 2007. But I realize that's a long time ago now. And so today I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to the most listened to songs today. And just, I will admit, like, I'm not saying the music itself is bad. Obviously, it's good music. It's like rhythm, flow, all of it. Like, it's phenomenally made. I'm saying what they're telling us, what they're telling you is awful, right? It's like women who want to use men, I'm summarizing a lot, women who want to use men, men who idolize their girlfriend so much that they'd rather not be told that she's cheating on him, love is meant to be miserable, you're doing it wrong, anger, revenge, loneliness, regret over lost love, and people like it because we feel these things. You might feel these things. But listening to them over and over only reinforces that you think this is true and natural and just makes you think it more and more. 
Does it make sense? Music and TV will convey ideas to you of what they're trying to say is true and what is worth living for and what's worth striving after. And the majority of problems we deal with today are probably because we choose them because it's what we listen to and we want to believe. And it's things we're striving after that we don't have to. God said, don't let the world force you into its model. Be a unique person in the manner of your actions and thoughts. And it's so crazy because people try to do some weird stuff to be unique. And like the Lord is like, I have made you unique. You don't need to like, the world's model right now is for you to try to be unique. But He has made you that way. If you will be who He has made you to be, you will be all that He wants for you to be. You will be like no one else can be. Make sense? Now I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't listen to or watch. The Holy Spirit really will do that if you belong to Him. Because if you've put your life in His hands, that means this room belongs to Him. This is His library, and He will tell you what He does and doesn't want in there. My personal example, and I don't say much of this often, because usually when you say it from a stage, some might like someone, and no one's allowed to do this. Like someone's going to say, "Well, He doesn't watch it," meaning you shouldn't watch it, which may be true. But like, if you really belong to God, like the Holy Spirit will tell you that, and it's your job to obey. But I loved, loved The Office. It was awesome. I loved these uh, five different sitcoms, and one by one, from the raunchiest down to what I thought was one of the cleanest, which is probably like The Office and Parks and Rec, which I don't, yeah, I think it's The Office. That's where it stopped. I was just like, he was just like, don't watch that. There was not a whole lot. I'm not saying anything. I'm not like, you watch it. I'm not going to like, oh, ooh, look, you watch that? Wow. See this guy? You see Christian over here? Like, I'm not going to do that, right? Like, I know that the Holy Spirit will tell you. And unless, now some people will genuinely be like, well, God hasn't told me. I love my shows. God, my music, God hasn't told me that. Or it's like, well, but that doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect me. Like, I can watch it. It's okay. Does that make sense? But most likely, if the Lord hasn't told you to get rid of some of the awful things you listen to or watch, it's probably because He won't say it because He knows you won't listen. Make sense? But if you really want a fully surrendered life, then it's the willingness to say, with an open hand, all of these are yours. If you want them out of my life, they're yours. I want you more than I want these. Even though I watch The Office every day. Like that was my background stuff because it just made me laugh. This is perfect. It was great. It was a phenomenally made show. But I want him more. And whatever reason he has, like he can or he doesn't need to tell me. But I want him more. And that means it belongs to him. Make sense? You can't ask him not to look in any of these rooms. You can't ask him not to look at your motive or your thoughts or your gallery. <clears throat> okay. Pretty much wrapping up. I'm going to say something that's to a very, very particular audience. Now, if your response to what I'm about to say is a sigh of relief and you're like, oh, that is me. Thank gosh, I don't need to get rid of the things I like or the, this thing that's on my heart to get rid of, then this is not you I'm talking to. If any part of you is like, oh, whew, man, I can keep my music. Oh, I love Taylor Swift. <laughs> but when Jesus was praying, he said, I have given your word to my followers. The world hated them because they do not belong to the world, even as I do not belong to the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. I ask you to keep them from the devil. Winky Prattney says, we are to live holy lives, but not be Hermits. Living in a hole will not make you holy. 
We must know what the world is doing so we can speak in the language they will understand and when we speak, when we speak for God in rightness. But there are some things we must watch and be skeptical of. The ideas which songs get across can't stick in our minds. If we're not careful, we will mix these into our Christian thinking and begin to accept wrong things as right. Like I said, there's a very, very select few, and I don't know who or where you are, but there are tendencies we have to believe. I must avoid any and all things. But being a hermit does not lead to being holy. Does make sense? I'm not saying sit there and listen to Taylor Swift every morning or like whatever. I'm sorry, I don't know anyone modern but her. Like she comes up everywhere. I'm like, my gosh, is it because my name's Taylor? You throw her on my feet everywhere or what? Like, I will admit, some of the best made shows and movies and music have the worst messages. Like, I'm not saying they're awful. Like, I hate awfully corny made stuff. I will not watch it. Like, I just pry my eyes out before I do that. Like, I'll watch nothing before I watch something that's awful, like made awful. Make sense? So like, I'm not saying they're made bad. They're great. But what they're saying is awful. And sometimes if you're not watchful, what they're saying you start to believe. Make sense? All right. Cool. So now, <clears throat> none of this should feel like a checklist of things you need to give up. Does that make sense? If you want to love God and you want him to use your life for something that matters in the world, then growing through, going through each one of these rooms should be exciting. It should not feel like, oh, God, I have to give this. Like, it's a drudgery. If that's how it is, it's like, I'm not, I don't love him. I just, like, I have to. It's like the thing you have to do, oh, Christian stuff. Like. But if you love him, going through this is exciting. Wanting to see who he will make you to be. Seeing men and women of God that the Lord has already used? Like if, you're not, if there's not people you're looking at saying, I want to be like that, then there's nothing you're working towards. Because like the image of God in someone's life is what we see tangibly with our eyes. We can read about it, and the Holy Spirit makes it real to us. But when you look at someone and say, I want to, like that part of Jesus, I see it in them, and I want that. Then it gets exciting. You're like, what room do we have to go through next? Like if I want to be like that, let's go through all my rooms and get rid of whatever's going to stop me from being like that. I want to be like you like that. Does it make sense? And if that's not the excitement, then there's we got to backtrack. I'm not trying to tell you to be Christian if you don't want to be. That sounds miserable. See what I'm saying? But if you want to give your life to God, then it's all of it. And that includes these rooms. Make sense? So I will pray for us, and we'll be done. <clears throat> God, we love you. Will you share your vision for what you can do in our lives with us? Will you show us who you see we can be? Lord, help us to experience the peace that you give, the joy that you give, the comfort and peace and strength that you give when we're here with you. And when we're not with you, may it be so, so clear when we are far from you, when we're nowhere near you, so that we long to come back. We long to be near to you, and we long to give up all that would come between us. Holy Spirit, help every heart to hear clearly tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.